All right, so we're going to go to Genesis 9, and as we're turning there, I want to kind of tee up what we're going to talk about here this morning. Um, of course, this has been a, a, I would say, a challenging season in a lot of ways for, for many people. Um, you know, we've had a pandemic that we, since March, have been trying to navigate as a country. Um, all kinds of political stuff that we're dealing with, a lot of division in our inner cities in many places. And uh, obviously, we've got an election coming up, but I want to commend all of you as God's people for, first of all, number one, being faithful to God. Give yourself a hand. Thank the Lord for what he's done in, in keeping you and keeping you and you applying yourself to the things of God. You've remained faithful. You've kept your wits about you, and that's important during a time like this. And uh, I've got the unique benefit and privilege this morning. I want to speak on a subject. I got a simple message, not complicated, super simple. Um, Oh, glad. I'm glad you will. Um, simple message, though, and it only comes up once every four years. And that is, of course, you know, Tuesday is the election. I'd like to take a poll. Those lights are bright. I can't hardly see. But I'd like to take a poll. How many of you have already pre-voted? How many have pre-voted in this place? You've already cast your ballot. So we've got a number that haven't. So you beat the rush. You got in there. Did you early voting? So we know this coming Tuesday is an election for the President of the United States. I would say I believe that this is a very consequential election. Of course, they all are. I would say this is probably even more so than any election possibly in our lifetime. And uh, we are Christians, and so as the church, our job is not to be political. That's not our goal. That's not the church's goal to be political. So we want everybody to know Jesus. That's our priority. We want Republicans to be Holy Ghost filled. We want Democrats to be Holy Ghost filled. We want independence to be Holy Ghost filled. We want, if you don't vote, we want you to be filled. We want everybody to know Jesus because our citizenship is in heaven. That's what really matters. At the same time, though, we are given the benefit and the privilege to live in the United States of America. I believe one of the most wonderful countries in the history of the world where we have such incredible freedom. And uh, we, I do believe that we have a, a uh, responsibility civically to, to vote come Tuesday, and I want to encourage you to do that. And so that's what I'm going to talk about here this morning. This is my 2020 election message. And um, probably, I think before it's all said and done, I'm going to tell you who I voted for. So I'm going to make two very simple points here this morning out of the Scripture, two simple points that I believe should be a guide to us in our voting. And how should we vote? And uh, I would say most importantly, we need to pray. And we need to pray what we want God to do is to set up our nation for a revival, a Holy Ghost revival, like the days of old. Amen. And that is why we exist as the church. If that were not the case, the Lord would have already raptured us out of here. He would have taken us out of this world. But he has left us here for a purpose and for a mission. And that mission is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that every man, woman, and child in the world could come to know the God that we serve and be ready to meet him when he comes. Amen. That's our mission. All right. So Genesis chapter 9. Two simple points I want to make here this morning. Genesis 9, verse number 1. This is following the destruction of planet Earth, cataclysmic, unlike anything we've ever known, um, but will be much like what we've been studying in Revelation is going to be coming. It won't be by water, it'll be by fire. But the global catastrophe happens to the planet, and uh, the boat is seated upon Mount Ararat. The door opens, and the saved family steps out of the boat. The Bible says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. Surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. And God set some parameters and some boundaries and some rules and some commandments. And he begins with this one. This one simple commandment. Don't eat the blood, he says. He follows it up in verse number 6. 
with what I would call the formulation, the first formulation of human government. It begins the most simple concept and precept possible to build a government around, a sense of mutual accountability that all the people that reside in an area would live under. Notice, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So they're sitting in this brand, standing in this brand new earth that they've been given with a simple rule. Number one, don't eat blood. Secondarily, as a part of that rule, whoever shed man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. We have a collective organization in its most infant phase of human government saying, don't kill. Honor human life. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that we are here today, Jesus, under the word of God, underneath the auspices and underneath the leadership and the guidance and the direction of you, our God. Lord, and we pray in a special way. We pray for our country. We pray for the United States of America. We pray for the country we are privileged to live in, and we're coming up on an election, and we pray for our country. We pray for guidance and leadership, and we pray, Lord, also give us direction today. Give us the right perception and the right philosophy and the right viewpoint of how we are to view the world that we live in. I pray that in Jesus' name. Talk to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You've been standing for a while. God bless you for that. So, as we get into this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 9, preceding this, of course, is up until this point in time, the greatest catastrophe in the history of the world. God made a, a beautiful world. He made beautiful people. He made the people that he created to serve him and to love him and to follow him. He gave them a planet to enjoy. And yet, unfortunately, with the free will that he had given unto man, that free will was exercised in damaging and destructive and in a very, very terrible ways. And so leading up to this moment in time, God does, though, however, search across, across the earth and he finds he finds some people, there weren't a lot of them, but he finds some people that have a passion for him and a desire for him, a desire for righteousness and truth and holiness and a love for God. And his, his name was Noah. And we have Mrs. Noah and we have Noah's family, his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives. And God gives them a mission. God gives them a command to build an ark. And that ark was to be for the saving of the entire world. It was to be the vehicle of deliverance so that when the flood came and when the rains descended and the fountains of the deep were broken up, that that ark, people could get into and find salvation. I don't know about you this morning, but as we walk by this way, I'm so grateful to God for the salvation of the Lord. I am thankful that even in God's judgment, there's always a ray of hope and there's always a desire in the heart of God to somehow or another to redeem people, whosoever will, whoever's got the desire and the passion in their heart. For God, there is a way of escape. I don't care how wicked the world gets. At the end of the day, nobody's going to have an excuse because even though this world is wicked, we have an opportunity from God to find a way of salvation and be saved from the impending and coming judgment that is to come. I'm really not here to preach about this, but I just don't feel like I can pass it by, especially with what we're studying on Wednesday nights. And on Wednesday nights, we're studying about the coming of the Lord. And if you're not in a life group, I'm going to give you a little commercial here. You're going to want to get into a life group. If you're here today, you're brand new. You haven't connected. See, our assistant pastor, Brother Lunn, he leads our life groups. He'll get you into a life group. It's good to get into a life group. And we're studying in our life groups about the coming of the Lord. We're studying about prophecy and man alive. I'm so thankful to know God. Because <laughs> man, when, when the rapture happens, I'm going to tell you right now, you do not want to miss the rapture. You want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Because he that shall come will come and he will not tarry. And he's going to come like a thief in the night. And that fast, as the lightning comes from the east to the west, uh, the Lord is going to come back. And he's not coming back for a haphazard bride. He's not coming for a bow-legged, buck-toothed, ugly old bride. But he's coming for a bride 
that hath made herself ready, that is prepared and ready for the coming of the Lord. And you want to be ready for that. Come on, you want to be repented. You want to be baptized in Jesus' name, and you want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You want to kneel at the cross of Calvary and the blood of the Lamb to wash over you so that when you stand before Almighty God, that all the sins that you committed in your life have already been washed away. And God says, I don't know anything about those sins. Uh, because as far as the east is from the west, I've separated those sins from you. And you are blood washed uh, and you are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb and by the name of our God. And you want that to happen. The Bible says other men's sins, they follow afterward to judgment. In other words, some people are going to stand before God and their sins are going to come up behind them. And then they're going to have to answer for all of those sins at the great white throne judgment. I don't know about you. I don't want that to happen. I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. So we've been learning about that. We've been learning about the impending judgment that is to come. God looked at the world that he had made. He had created this beautiful world for people to enjoy. And in this world, these free moral agents and creatures that he had created, unfortunately, took that freedom they were given and made bad choices. And they lived destructive lives. And they lived sinful lives, and they live lives of depravity. And God said, I've had enough of it all. And 6 and 5 of Genesis 6 says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's all he thought about day in and day out. Thought about evil things, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. It repented. God was sorry that he made man, and it grieved him at his heart. He was smitten in his heart because the man that he had created, the humankind, the people he had created were living terrible, destructive lives, and it saddened him at his heart, grieved him in his heart. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So the, 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 the rain began to fall, and the fountains of the deep began to be broken up, and the lightning began to flash, and the thunderclap could be heard. And all of a sudden, those that had mocked Noah, that had made fun of him, what are you doing, crazy man, building an ark in the middle of a desert, in the middle of nowhere? There's no lake around here, Noah. What are you doing? God spoke to me. Judgment is coming. They laughed at him. They mocked him. Until the day that Noah got in that ship with his family and those eight that were saved by water and the door was closed. And as the fountains of the deep were broken up and the raging rivers began to flow and the rains came down, I can only imagine the people that were beating on the outside of that ship. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. Let my, me in. Because the judgment was coming. But it was too late. There were those eight people that had lived righteous, holy, godly lives on the inside of that boat, being saved from the destruction that was happening on the outside. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a day that every child of God is going to thank the Lord God Almighty that you made the choice to serve the Lord. When judgment comes, you're going to thank God that you were in the church and you stayed in the church. When judgment comes... You're going to thank the Lord God Almighty. I'm so glad. I may have felt like giving up at times, but I'm so glad I stayed in the church. Come on, somebody. I'm so glad I stayed living for God. I'm so glad I stayed living holy. I'm so glad I continued to live for the Lord. There's an old song we used to sing. It's going to be worth it all. Some beautiful, happy day. It's going to be worth every long mile. It's going to be worth every hard trial. Those are my words. It's going to be worth it all. So there's Noah. He's inside of that boat, and the impending judgment came, wiped out the planet, and the planet was, was completely destroyed. It is interesting, I, I would suppose, for us to commentate at this point in time that right now we're living in a culture and a society that cares more about, about nature than they do about God. It says they worship and serve the creature more than they did the creator. And everybody's trying to save the planet. I got bad news for the people that are trying to save the planet. I got bad news for the Green New Deal people. I got a bad news for you. 
Bad news, Green New Deal people, you, you can do all the solar, you can do all the wind, you can do everything, cut carbon emissions, you can cut all that stuff, but you're going to save this planet only to have God completely destroy the planet. It's amazing. People are spending their entire lives trying to save the planet. And God says, I'm going to take the heavens and I'm going to roll them up like a scroll. And he said, I'm gonna, they're going to melt with a fervent heat. And I don't know if it's nuclear. I don't know what it is. But God is one day, he's going to burn up this planet. People are giving their whole lives to save the planet. And God said, I'm, I'm going I'm to burn up the planet. But those that live for him are going to be in a new Jerusalem. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. What are you saying, Pastor, on this Sunday morning? I'm saying there are times that God gets sick and tired of all the mess. And God says, I'm going to wipe it all out. And God says, we're going to start all over. We're going to start brand new. We're going to start from scratch. And if you're going to really understand Jesus... And this is the unfortunate news that the majority of the Christian world is living in right now that they have no idea about. They've only read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I'm telling you, if you want to know Jesus, Jesus is a two-volume set. you got to read the Gospels, but you also got to read the book of Revelation if you want to know who Jesus is. That's why I love this study. This study is powerful. So it's not Revelations with an S. It's revelation singular because there's one revelation. You know what the revelation of the book of Revelation is? The revelation is the revelation of Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're only going to have a limited viewpoint of who Jesus is. Thank God he is a Savior. Come on, somebody. Thank God that he died on the cross of Calvary. Thank God he did that. Thank God he's a healer. Thank God he's a mender. Thank God that... That, that he's merciful. Thank God that he's kind. But if all you get is that aspect of God, it may mess you up a little bit. That's why John the Revelator said, I'm going to give you a revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you see an aspect of God that you didn't know. You're like, man, I knew he was the Savior, but I didn't know he was the judge. Wow, I knew he was merciful, but I didn't also know that he's a judge. And the book of Revelation shows an insight as to the power of the judgment of God. And folks, we are living right now in an era of grace and mercy that we ought to thank God for. But there is coming a time that the door is going to close, that grace is going to end, that mercy is going to stop. And he who now letteth is going to let till he be taken out of the way. That the church is going to leave and the grace of God's going to leave. The presence of God's going to leave. And into that vacuum is going to come the Antichrist. And there's going to come evil like we've never known before. But thank God presently we are living in an era of grace. But judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. People that are playing around, judgment is coming. So God in Noah's time basically just said, I'm sick and tired of all the mess. I'm tired of all the sin. I'm tired of the debauchery. I'm tired of the oppression and the abuse. And God said, I'm just, we're, we're just going to wipe it all out. We're going to start from scratch. And that ark floats on those waters, and the waters begin to recede, and that ark floats downward, and it lands on the top of Mount Ararat. The door opens up, and stepping out into a brand-new earth, is Noah and Mrs. Noah and those eight folks walk out into a brand new planet and God said we're starting over brand new and we're starting with a godly family. We're starting with a godly man and a godly woman, godly children and now we're going to start this world all over again. It was a beautiful world. I mean, how Noah must have felt when he looked across that beautiful world. I don't know about you, but I do, I do thank God for his creation. It is beautiful. And he's looking, and there's a rising sun that comes up, and you know, maybe some storm clouds can't begin to come in, and there's a little drizzle, and there's probably a, you know, a very scary moment that came for Noah, but then he saw that rainbow in the sky, and God said, but I'm, I'm not going to destroy the earth with a flood again. He just went, whew. Thank God. Whew, we made it through that storm. That one's all over with. So it's a brand spanking new earth. And the Bible says in Genesis 9 and 1, notice, the Bible says God blessed Noah and his sons. God blessed Noah and his sons. 
If there's one thing that every child of God ought to desire more than anything else in this earth is the blessing of God. We need the blessing of God in our life. Noah steps off of the boat and God says, God says, I'm going to bless you, Noah. You've been obedient to me. You followed my will in your life. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. It's going to be like unlike anything you've ever seen and known before. The Bible says God bless Noah and his sons. And he said unto them, notice, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Be fruitful. Have babies. Have lots of babies. Cameron and Brittany. Little old Oliver, is he with you this morning? You didn't leave him with the babysitter? Brought him to church. Come on, that's a way to raise him right. Bring him to church. I should call him little Oliver because he's actually pretty big Oliver. That's a big boy right there. He said, have babies, have lots of babies. I've got an old, my oldest daughter and son-in-law. Be fruitful, the word of God says. And multiply and replenish the earth. Have babies, have lots of babies. Give us grandbabies, please. Please give us grandbabies. <laughs> we are ready for grandbabies. Have lots of babies. You know what? I tell you what God wants. I tell you what. So we're the church, right? There's two ways you can have revival. Go out there and win them to God, which we're going to do. Amen? Church, River of Life, come on. We're going to win them to God. Wheels on the bus are going to go round and round. I tell you another way you have revival, you have revival in the nursery. You got revival in the nursery, then you got revival in Sunday school. I'm telling you, and we're leading by example. Caleb and Mariah and Brooklyn and Brianne, we had four kids, so there's, a, there's like a minimum requirement. You're going to be a part of River of Life. You've got to have at least four babies. If not, you better get to work. Come on. Be fruitful and multiply. There's more than one way to grow a church. You can win them to God and you can have babies. Lots of babies. Come on, folks. Lots of babies. We love babies. This is a church that loves babies. Make sure you're married. You get married. You live for God. You find a godly spouse and have lots of babies. I also want you to know, if you, you were raised in church, we thank God for you. Now, we're reaching lost people, and people got testimonies. You know, I used to whore and honky-tonk and be, you know, a biker. I was in a biker gang, and I killed people. And everybody's like, oh, man, amazing. And then the kid that's raised in church is like, man, I don't have a testimony. What's my testimony? And if we're not careful, all we do sometimes is highlight the testimony of the, you know, the rugged sinner that came to God, which we thank God for. But I'm going to tell you, it's also a testimony for you to be raised on a pew, raised on a purple chair, living for God. Don't ever go back out into that world that so many people have been redeemed from. So we thank God for you. Thank God for you. But he told him, he told Noah, he said, no, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. Have yourself lots of babies. You say, well, I, why, why is that important? Why, is God want, why did God want Noah and, you know, Shem and Mrs. Shem and Ham? Mrs. Ham and Jay Feather, Mr. Why do you want them to have babies? Malachi 2.15, I'm going to read this in the Amplified. It's kind of cool the way it says it. In the Amplified, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? The union of a husband and a wife, in body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Notice what he says. What does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. What does he want? Godly children. Amen. Praise the Lord. He wants godly children. That's what God wants. So when a godly man and a godly woman get together and they have kids, raise those kids to be godly kids, that's a wonderful thing. As a matter of fact, I just feel like preaching some vision to some young people here this morning. I feel like preaching vision to young people. If you're not married, you hold out until you get the right spouse for your life. Amen. You may not find them on Instagram. I'm sorry. You may not find them cruising Facebook. I'll tell you where you need to be trolling. You need to be trolling in the altars. Because that's where you find a good...
Come on, DeAndre. You ought to be on your feet saying, that's right. Yeah. Find them in the altars, man. Find them Holy Ghost filled, living for God. That's the kind. You want a good marriage? Marriage is made up of two people that live for God. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Amen? You get God in the middle of that, you got good things. Then you start having babies. Start having babies, man. It's, it's a good thing. Godly babies. Raise them in how to pray while they're young. I feel like preaching vision. I don't know why. I didn't do this in the 9 o'clock. I feel like preaching vision this morning. Come on. I mean, raise, your, raise them babies. Get a vision for your life of having a good family. So, oh, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Some of you didn't have a good family. Some of you were wrecked. Your family wrecked you in some ways. And here you are. You came stumbling into a church. And maybe your daddy was an alcoholic. Your mom and dad split up when you were young. You've never had a good family. You don't even know what it looks like. It's uncharted territory. But you've got a God that will lead you into righteousness and holiness and truth. And he'll lead you on what it looks like to be a godly husband and a godly father and a godly wife and a godly mother. And all of a sudden now, you've got a spouse that's living for God and you got babies that are coming up and you can give your babies something that you never had. You can give your babies the security of a good home. Amen. The security of knowing that needs are going to be met. The security of being loved. The security of not having to be abused. You can give your kids something that you never had in your own life. Oh God, he can do that for you. He'll do that for you. Those babies can grow up. Hearing Shema Israel, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. One of the first things, my little boy, he ain't a little boy no more. He's got a birthday coming up. One of the first things, he'd sit in his, his little uh, high chair there, and he'd have food all over his face, and he'd go, one God, one God, one God, one God, one God. Because that's what you raise him on. You teach him there's only one God. And his name's Jesus. One God. One God. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Some of you parents got maybe your kids back so they're away from the Lord. But you train them up the right way. You hold to that promise. They're going to come back to what they're familiar with. Oh, man, I got to get to my message here. Jesus, help us. He wants godly children. That's what he wants. He wants godly children to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So Here they are. They're standing. This beautiful brand new world in front of them. God tells them. Be fruitful, multiply, build a wonderful family for the glory of God. Replenish the earth with other godly people. Verse number two. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. They're going to be scared to death of you because into your hand they shall be delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat. Meat. Any meat eaters in here? Even as the green herb have I given you all things meat. Meat. If you want to be a vegetarian, more power to you. But I like steak. I like venison. I like shish kebabs. I like good old-fashioned protein. Meat shall be meat for you. Corey Parrington's probably online. He's going, amen, yeah. Give me that meat. It shall be meat for you. He said it shall be meat for you. Hunting. Got it in the book right there. It's in the book right there. Hunting. Hunting we will go. Hunting we will go. I hold the cherry on. Come on. Hunting. Hunting. Hunting is good, according to the Bible. He said every beast... Deer and the cows and the elk and the moose. He said it's going to be yours. Every fowl, not F O U L, F O W L, that means birds. That means the ducks and the chickens and the grouse and the pheasant. He said they're going to be yours. And he said, and the fish, the walleye and the pike and the sunfish and the muskies and the crappies and the bass. He said they're going to be yours. Got some of your attention now. And guys are like, I'm interested now. I'm in. I'm in. I said, Auntie. He said, I'm giving it all to you as, as a gift. Thank God for that. 
Oh, man, there's something inside of mankind, something in us. That's why we long for the far-off distant hills. and We long for the next lake. There's something inside of us, but God put that in us. He said hunting. He said, you got, a, you got a brand new world. you got a godly family. You're starting over. And all of a sudden, God speaks in the middle of all this. He said, I've given you all this for you. Now, are you ready? Are you ready, church? And here's rule number one. God's got a rule. Here's rule number one. Let's keep it simple. you got a brand new world, Noah. This is preceding the law of Moses. This is before the law of Moses, right? The law of Moses is 613 commandments. God gave 613 commandments in the Old Testament, parameters and boundaries and rules, and there's reasons for all of them. He gave 365 negative commands. In other words, things that he said, thou shalt don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. You want to please me, don't do this. 365 negative commands. One for every single day of the year. 248 positive commands. Do this. He says, don't do this, but do this. Don't do this. But do this. I'm thankful that God gives us direction out of the word of God as to what he wants that will please him. I'm thankful for that. You have those 613 commandments. That is, this is preceding all of that. You know why? Because he's a law and order God. I'm going to let that sink in just for a second. He's a law and order God. These people are talking about defunding the police. That's a dumb idea. And that's not a political statement. That's just a rational statement. Defund the police. Let's see how that works out for you. Like this nutty city council member in Minneapolis. Defund the police. In fact, I think they voted on it. I think they voted to do that. Guess what happens? Crime. What do you think? All the criminals are like, cool. <laughs> Defund the police. Criminals are like, I'm voting for defunding the police. That's what we're voting for. And all of a sudden, all the criminals move into that area. That same city council person, they say, and I, I read this recently, went back, to the, went, went back to the police filing formal complaints saying, you guys need to police better. Defund the police. That's not a good idea. Well, I tell you what, thank God for law. He is a law and order God. Justice does matter to the God that we serve. It does matter. So here we go. He says, here's rule number one. Are you ready? Verse number four. But he said, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. He said, I got one rule. You can have the life of the flesh is in the blood. He said, you, the, 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 the flesh, the beast, the meat is for you. That's good. You can eat meat, but don't eat it with the blood. There's something about that blood. He said, I'm going to put a parameter in your life. So you know, this might be a little direction for some of you meat eaters. I mean, you better make sure you don't want to eat rare. <laughs> you got to take care of that blood. That's what he said. You say, why, why does that make a difference? What, I mean, what is, why does God care about? It could be almost a prophetic intuition of the coming uh, sacrifices that would be made in the tabernacle when he said, and the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. There's something special that's about that blood, God says. And he said, the wild animals that, you know, that wild, a, a wolf, a timber wolf stalks its prey and, and they, they circle that deer and they jump on that deer and go for its throat, right? They go for its throat and the blood comes out and they're just, they're just eating up that bloody flesh. What God was saying is, listen, humanity, you're different than that. You, I've given you the meat, but you're not savage. I've given you the meat, and you don't just eat and get blood all over yourself because, because God said, I've made you to be something respectful. I, I, I've made you to be something special. And so the very first law that God makes here as they step off of the, the great ark, the very first law that he makes is that there needs to be a respect for life. He said, life is in the blood, and God is the giver of life. And to disregard the gift of life is an affront to the giver of life. And so there is a divine prohibition against eating blood, preparing humanity ultimately for blood sacrifice. God says, you can eat meat, chicken, and burgers, and steak, and thank God for that. Just don't eat the blood because we're not savage animals. We're not savage animals. And notice, listen, we have a respect for life, even the respect of life for animals, even in how we take an animal. Rule number one, 
is followed up, the second part of that, that rule. Notice verse number 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. He said, we're going to have a respect for human life. A respect for human life. As a matter of fact, really what you have here is a collective beginning of human government. The, the most simple, I would say the most simple rule of law, the core principle of government should be this. We respect human life. We respect life. Why do we respect life? Because every human being was born and made in the image of God. We are God's image bearers. We are God's image bearers. And every single human being that is born is of worth to God. And the most fundamental principle is the principle of a right to life. Everybody has a right to live. As a matter of fact, let me take it one step further. And this is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement that God is a pro-life God because life matters. God loves life. God gives life as a precious gift. That's why God says don't murder. Don't take that precious life. Don't falsely testify against it. God said every life matters. God wants, listen, every life protected. He says, as a matter of fact, if somebody sheds blood, this is the institution of capital punishment. By man shall his blood be shed. He said, I will require it at the hand of every man's brother. So we have a collective coming together that as the brothers, as, as the family of, of earth, as the people of earth, uh, we guard the value of human life. God told Noah the most simplistic, before hundreds of laws come, and he said the number one law is that every single life is important to God. Every life matters to God. You were made in the image of God. And every single person matters to God. I want everybody here to know and be reminded every one of you matter to God. Every human life matters to God. You matter to God. And you matter to God. And you matter to God. You matter. You were made in God's image. And so the person that you see at Walmart, they matter to God. The guy driving the truck down the road, he matters to God. When you stop at the light and you look over and you see that person next to you behind the wheel, they matter to God. Everybody matters to God. The aged person in the nursing home matters to God. The person that has Alzheimer's and maybe can't remember their own name or their family members, they still matter to God. They matter to God. The mentally incapacitated, they matter to God. The vulnerable matter to God. Black lives matter to God. White lives matter to God. Latino lives matter to God. Indian lives matter to God. Asian lives matter to God. Old lives matter to God. Young lives matter to God. Babies' lives matter to God. All life should be protected. Everyone has a right to life. Everyone has a right to life. That's why Exodus 20 and 13, God said, thou shalt not kill. It's fundamental. Ten commandments. Thou shalt not kill because every person deserves a right to live. God said, I care so much about that. That's the primary Commandment and law that I'm going to give you. No, it's just simple. It's simple. Everybody deserves a right to live. They deserve that right to, to live their life. No sin shows a greater contempt for life than homicide. And God said, whosoever sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he him. Government should protect life. Government should protect life. I'm going to deal with a few things here because you're just probably not going to hear this anywhere else, unfortunately, or very few places. And this is, again, this is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement. We've got all kinds of things, and the truth is that, you know, I just don't have a lot of confidence in our educational institutions to input values of truth. I mean, all you got to do is look around and look at our world and how messed up our world is getting. And I'm not confident that our colleges are teaching it. I'm not. So, so there, 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 there are things that our young people and our children are hearing I think it's important that we address from a biblical vantage point. 
Let me, let, me, let me throw a phrase out to you today. Reproductive rights. Reproductive rights. People are saying today, reproductive rights. Listen, you do have freedom. You have freedom to fornicate if you want to. You have freedom. You can have sex with whoever you want to have sex whenever you want to have sex. You can sin. You, you do have the freedom to do that. But you do not have the freedom to live without the consequences of the choices that a person makes. I know I'm, it's just straight. I'm giving it straight. It's the only way I know how to do it. Okay? Okay? Yeah, I, I tell you what I find a little interesting, though. It's hypocrisy <laughs> to the premium degree. You know, it's like, well, that's a woman's body. I have any right to say what happens in a woman's body. But we're demanding you to wear a mask. Wait, I, th- I, thought, I, th- I, thought there, I thought this was all about freedom. I thought, you know, that ideology is so messed up. Reproductive rights. You, you can reproduce with whoever you want to reproduce with. You, you can do whatever you want. God gave people human freedom. You can't live without the consequences, though. You have reproductive rights, but listen very closely according to the Word of God. Nobody has killing rights. Let me tell you what God thinks about reproductive rights. Life is protected. All life is protected. The vulnerable are protected. The mentally incapacitated are protected. Come on. The elderly are protected. Children are, should be protected. Out of the womb and in the womb. They should be protected. All life matters. The safest place in the world should be a mother's womb. I would argue from the scripture that anything else is barbarism and it is evil. Abortion is sin. It's not a right. It's wrong. It's a sin because all life matters. The unborn matter. Every child matters. Every life matters. Every life matters to God and should be protected and furthermore should be protected by the government. That's what God told Noah. God said, Noah, you're going to build yourself a government. Oh, what's that government going to be? It's going to be really simple. Noah, whosoever sheds man's blood shall, by man shall his blood be shed. Protect every life. Let every life be protected. So, Pastor, who are you voting for? I'm going to give you a little clue who I'm voting for. I'll tell you who I'm voting for. I'm voting for life. I'm voting for life. I'm voting for the candidate that protects life. The vulnerable, the sick, the infirm, the unborn. I'm voting for life. Who's the candidate that's going to protect life? Because as a Christian, life matters to God. Every life matters to God. Who knows the evangelist that is yet in the womb? Who knows the world's greatest soul winner that is yet in the womb that has not yet been born? Who knows the greatest leader the world has ever known is still in the born in the womb? And every one of them deserves an opportunity to live and to experience life. Let me let me be very clear and how I and we're living in a broken world today. I get it. And it's so unfortunate. I just don't, I just some some of these societal things are such a they're such a mess. Pro-choice is a joke. And I'm gonna tell you why it's a joke. Because this is what choice means. Choice means here's point A, here's all the facts, here's point B, here's all the facts. When you make a choice, you're fully educated on both sides of an argument, then you make a decision. If pro-choice was pro-choice, they would give ultrasounds to young mothers that are making one of the most difficult decisions that unfortunately that the laws allow them to make. And it's not about, it's not about choice. It's really pro-abortion. What I would say, though, is in that womb is a precious, precious baby. It is not a parasite. It is a baby. And thank God that God puts a parameter of protection around every single human life.
I have to say this as we pass by this way, though. Our world is filled with people that have made mistakes in life, terrible mistakes in life. And I do want everyone here to know, as well as online, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness. If you unwittingly or you made decisions in life that you regret now and you look back and say, oh God, if I could have done it all over again, I'd do it all different. Lord, if I could, man, if I'd have made different decisions, man, I would, if I could undo that, I would undo that. I have good news for you. The blood of Jesus, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the, the wonderful forgiveness of our God can wash over sins, can take away the regret, and our good God can wash over any wrong and bad decision that's been made. We've got a good, merciful God. At least now there's mercy for repentance, and, and that can be changed. But let there be no confusion about it. And may there be a certain sound that was resound across the pulpits of our world. Oh, that God would set up the pulpits of America aflame to call out truth and righteousness and sin and unrighteousness. Killing innocent baby lives is wrong because God said all life is important. Don't shed blood. He said, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. The hand of every man's brother, what's he talking about? A collective responsibility of a society, a culture, a government. That together, as a people, as a nation, he said, that we protect and we guard innocent human life. This is why we don't abuse people. This is why we don't oppress. This is why we don't hurt people. Pastor, who are you voting for? I'm voting for a candidate that supports life. I will never vote for a candidate that supports abortion. N-E-V-E-R. Never. Man, I feel God here today. Vote life. What about, you know, what about this candidate? What they can do for the economy? What about what they do here? All of those priorities, they fall far beneath the most fundamental concept that God said in the formulation of human government, I would also say that we should really thank the Lord that we live in a country. The, the majesty and the brilliance of the American governmental system is, is absolutely amazing. What did he say? Every person granted inalienable rights by their creator of life, number one. Do you get that? Life. Life. That's biblical. The right to life, the right to liberty, and the right to pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. You realize the Canadian, the Canadian, uh, their constitution, many other government constitutions, they say the same thing. They all say the same thing. Life, liberty, many of them will say uh, ownership of property and property. Life, liberty, and property. Life, liberty, and property. Because that flows into my next point. My next point is that the right to life comes with it included the right to freedom. Right, the right to freedom. When you have light, God has given us life. God has given mankind freedom. That freedom, that, that right to life brings with it freedom. That automatically, you have a right to live, you have a right to freedom. In other words, other people not imposing their will upon you. Because you have freedom and I have freedom, but the law should protect each one of our freedoms so that I don't use my freedom to impose upon your freedom. That's, that's where law comes in. Amen. It is shocking to me that God would create a human creature that literally had the power and the capacity, if he so choose, to deny and defy even the existence of God. That's how big our God is. Our God is so big, he is so confident that he would create a human being, he would give them a will, he would give them a, a rational capacity to choose right and wrong. People will say it like this, you're doing a Bible study, you get into the book of Genesis and and, and God makes Adam, and he gives him this whole garden. He puts in the middle of the garden, he puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See there? Why'd God do that? Can you believe that? Why didn't God just not put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in there? Why did he even put it there? Let me tell you why he put it there. Because God wanted a creature, a rational creature that was like him, that had the capacity to love him. The capacity to love him. The only way you can have love is if you choose to love. <laughs> and wherever there is control, that love disappears. That's why, you know, our program for evangelism in this church is not the duct tape ministry. 
We love people so much we want them to be saved. We believe in bringing the gospel to all the world. We love them so much we're going out. We're doing Saturday outreach. What are we doing? Everybody gets a roll of duct tape. And you find that person you want to win to God, you throw them on the ground, you duct tape them up, you bring them to church. Nope, you're not on there, Sean. You've got to think about what I'm saying here. Be nice if we could do it that way. We can't do it that way. We duct tape them in, we bring them on a Saturday, we put them in the tank, we say, oh, we baptize another one in Jesus' name. That's 964 for the year. Thank God we baptized 964 people. They didn't want to be baptized. Bart Gabe along, he kind of muscled them in, got them in a headlock, and then we duct tape them, we got them to church, we baptize them in Jesus' name. Well, guess what? Those are invalid baptisms. Because he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What does that mean? You have to choose to love God. you got to say, I want to live for God. God doesn't want it any other way. If I was God, I'd do it different. He didn't consult me, though. I just say, you're going to serve me, you chump. You think I made you. I give you this great big world, this great big life. You, you jerk. Just live for me. Is that that hard? God's not like that, though. He's like, no, I'll give you freedom. You can, you, you can choose. Listen, you don't want to go to heaven. You don't have to go to heaven. You don't want to go to church. You don't have to go to church. You don't want to live for God. You don't have to live for God. However, you cannot escape the consequences of your choices. You don't want to live for God? There, I mean, let, let's set the record straight here. Let's just st- set the record straight. When you come to River of Life Church, they don't close the doors behind you and you know, put locks on them and you can't leave. There are times I wish I could do that. You can't, no, no, no. You, 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 can, you, you can be in the church or not be in the church. You can live for God or you can backslide. You can do whatever you want to do. You suffer the consequences. But you know why? Because God wants a people that will take their free will and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord. I choose Jesus. I choose to live for God. I choose to live the way God wants me to live. I, ch- I want to go to heaven. I want to live for God. This is what I want. I got freedom. And with that freedom, opens up the doors of love. Then you can choose to love God. God's so happy about that. I, I want to commend everybody that's here. You're worshiping, living for God, loving God. I'm telling you what, the Lord loves that so much. It's what he's sought for since the beginning of time. He's looked for people that would choose him. He gave the fundamental right to life that brings with it the fundamental right to freedom. Freedom. God gave human freedom. It's amazing. A conscience, emotions, rational thinking, ability, freedom to pursue your dreams, freedom to follow your conscience, freedom to love, freedom to worship God, freedom to live for the Lord, freedom to own your own property, freedom to follow your dreams, freedom to think and explore, freedom to disagree. Freedom to think your own thoughts and not be dominated over. Again, the, the, the genius of the American system, the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. You say, oh, what's the big deal about that? You've been in freedom so long, you don't even know the amount of freedom that you have. Go, go, go try to exercise that in China. But it's a godly, it's a biblical value that because you have life, God said, with that life, I'm going to give you freedom. You have the freedom to think the thoughts that you want to think. Do you know like in North Korea... Under that despotic regime, people that have gotten out of North Korea, that they teach the children that are very young, that the master ruler, he knows everything that you think, that, that the leader of the country knows everything. You better not ever think a, a bad thought about the leader, and they're raised in this paranoia because there's no freedom. There's nothing but oppression and abuse that comes into that. And here we're living in a country that is built on biblical principles, the principles of life and the principle that comes with it of freedom. You have the freedom to think what you want to think. You have the freedom in America, at least now, at least now, at least now, listen up, you at least now have the freedom to speak what you want to speak. Now, that's not a guarantee. You say in the United States of America? You look at some Supreme Court rulings that have came through in the past, in the past 10 years. You look at the Heller case. You look at some of these, these cases. And you look at literally the infringement upon the ability for free speech rights. But thank God we have freedom. Thank God we have freedom to think what we want to think and say what we want to say. Second Amendment, you say, what's that all about? You know what it is? It's, 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 it goes back to the freedom to life, the, the freedom of liberty, the freedom to be able to protect yourself. 
Yeah, you've been blessed. Here's your home. Here's your family. It's a beautiful thing. Some, some rampaging maniac wants to kick the front door down and come in and, and, and abuse your children and, and, and kill you or take your stuff. In America, you have a right to defend your freedom. And you know what? I think we ought to thank God that we live in that kind of country. And it acts as a deterrent to criminals. And it acts as a deterrent to the abusers and the oppressors. God gave us freedom. And so that freedom can be used to do good things and it can be used to do bad things. Unfortunately, evil human nature will take the freedom it's given and it will oppress others. It will, it will try to steal from others, take from others. So watch. I mean, all you got to do is read the headlines. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Stealing and threatening and abuse and domination and all of that. The tendency of human nature to advantage self to the disadvantage of someone else. So watch. Watch the Ten Commandments, Exodus 29. The first four commandments are regarding our relationship with God. The last six are our lateral relationships with other people. So watch. This is simple. I know you probably, I told you this is going to be simple. Watch. Thou shalt not kill. Ten commandments. No wonder they're trying to take them out of our courthouses. There's been a move to take them out of the courthouses. And then what slips into that vacuum? Abuse. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because when there's a, a marital union between a husband and a wife, there should not be a third party involved there. It's abridging and going over the way God created to be. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Okay, you get it? Life and liberty, the basics of life that then brings us freedom. But there is, there is a parameter around that freedom. And this is 9 o'clock, just popped into my head. Like if I look at, at Brother Lund's tie and I go, man, I like that tie. I think I'm going to have me that tie. Can I just, I'm going to take that tie there. <laughs> I want that. So, so the law, what was the law to do to protect the life and the freedom mutually of a collective society? That's what the Ten, Ten Commandments are all built on. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't, don't lie about your neighbor in the court of law, especially in a time of capital punishment, those kind of things. Don't bear false witness against him to do damage to your neighbor. Why? Because it was about protecting the freedom of that person. Life and liberty. Finally, ends it with this, because if you, if, if, if you take care of this, this literally takes care of everything else. Ten commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Don't covet. Don't be envious. Don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. Oh, I want that. I want that. Because if you, if you get jealousy out of your heart, you're never going to steal. You get envy out of your heart, Cain, you're never going to kill. You get, you get those things, you don't covet those things, and, and, and it's just going to take care of itself. So the law is expressed in the Ten Commandments and further clarify the 613 commandments were for what? To protect individual freedom. That's what they were there for, to protect individual freedom. We are free. We are free to choose. We are free to follow our conscience. We are free to follow God. You're saying, okay, so we're coming on an election. What does this have to do with election? Fundamentally, government should protect individual human freedom. Government is not a United States idea. Government is a God idea. And the ultimate idea behind government and human law is to protect human life and to protect human freedom. At the core of the law, if you summarize the law, what is the summary? It is personal responsibility that protects individual life and protects individual freedom. Now, again, I think we ought to celebrate this. We don't talk about this very often, but do we really realize what we have the benefit of enjoying on a, on a daily basis? When you contrast this, there, there are words that are being thrown around, okay, in our educational system. They're thrown around all different kind of venues and areas. Some of you that are, that are more seasoned in your age, I'm going to put it that way. Some of you that are more seasoned in your age will know this word, I'm going to say it, used to be a swear word. Are you ready? Socialism. Communism. We now have groups of people that are now talking about forms of government. And again, hey, you can think whatever you want to think. You can have whatever kind of ideas. They can be a bad idea, but I mean, you're, you're entitled to your idea. Democratic socialism. Socialism. 
Anybody that's lived long or studied any kind of history that knows about despotic regimes and knows what fascism and communism creates, it creates oppression, it creates abuse, it produces a Hitler, it produces a Stalin, it produces a Lenin, it produces a Pol Pot, it produces wicked and evil rulers where there is communism, where there is socialism, where there is fascism, it creates a red China, it creates a North Korea. I mean, all these democratic socialists, what I think they need to do is they need to fly down. They need to fly down to Florida. They need to hop a plane and go to Cuba. And Cuba will welcome you, I'm sure, with open arms. And if you want to live in communism, then go to Cuba. Go to Cuba. That's a wonderful place. I got somebody who's going to help me preach in here today, huh? Just wave your hand and say amen. (laughs) Freedom. (laughs) Freedom to run in your presence. Yeah, okay. So, the genius of the American system is there is a separation of powers. There is a constitution. There is a declaration. You must like the platform. Just pick him pick pick him up. That'd be fine. We have a constitution, we have a declaration, we have a separation of powers. The genius of the American system is that we have a separation of powers so that one can't control the other. It is a miracle. It is a wonderful thing. Come on, American Christians. You're able to worship God in freedom, and we're not hiding out in little homes somewhere, which we would do if we had to do. But you know, in China, there's little house churches everywhere because every communist and Marxist knows that if you're going to have a movement of communism, you have to destroy the church, which is why pre-Russia, USSR, all of the beautiful churches were closed down. And churches get closed in these countries because you can't have a free-thinking people that worship God if you're going to have communism. And so they steal that away. But here we are in America with a First Amendment right to be able to worship God as our conscience dictates and be able to magnify the Lord and live for God freely and worship and believe the way we believe and live the way we believe because God has allowed us to exercise human freedom. That is absolutely a miracle. Hallelujah. So as I come to a close, I told you before I ended this message, I was going to tell you who I'm going to vote for. Here's who I'm going to to vote for. Number one, I'm voting for Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is my king. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He's sitting on the throne. He's always going to be on the throne. He's never going to vacate the throne. I'll tell you who I'm going to vote for. I'm going to vote for life, and I'm going to vote for freedom. That's who I'm voting for. Who am I voting for? Is it just straight party line? Is it just about Republican? About Come on. I'm not, I'm not about just choosing a team. But I tell, you, I tell you what we as Christians ought to do is we ought to choose the values of that Bible. We ought to choose the values of this good book that has given us, most importantly, spiritual freedom to live for him. A freedom that has elevated our lives to be and to do what we have never been able to do in all of our lives. Come on, I'm looking at some people here today that without God, you know what your life was. But now with God, you have been elevated to become something you never dreamed you could have ever become. You're raising a family. Man, your life is coming together. Things are working out well. I've been praying lately that God would mightily bless. I I prayed that God would bless the the workers in our church with with promotions and jobs. I've been praying that God would bless those that work in our church to be in places of influence and leadership. And all of a sudden, the the testimonies start coming back. So-and-so has been given a promotion here. So-and-so has been given a raise here. And and God is elevating You know why? Because he wants, like a Daniel, he wants to raise some people up to be people of influence. But you know what your life was like before God. You couldn't even hold a job. You couldn't even hold your head up, in and out of jail, living immoral lives, living sinful lives. But Jesus, but Jesus lifted me up, picked up my life, and here I am. 
living in a country that allows me to freely evangelize. There are some places it's illegal. It's illegal. You can't share, share your faith. You can't proselytize. That's illegal around here. But man, we're still in a country that allows us to do those things. And I would just say minimally to exercise our civic duty, go vote. Vote Tuesday. Vote for a candidate. I'm voting for a candidate that supports life and supports freedom. Stand together with me this morning, please. And we want to also pray that God would bless our nation. And I tell you what I'm praying for. I'm not, I'm not praying. These are not pocketbook prayers. These are not just the prayers for, you know, what gives me a better life and this and that. But ultimately, what, what gives me the life and us a life to have a maximum impact for the glory of God? A maximum impact so that a revival can sweep our nation, sweep our state, and sweep our city. A revival that brings people in. I mean a revival like the days of old where thousands upon thousands of people repent of their sins and follow Jesus. Would you raise your hands together with me today and can we talk to our God and can we ask Him what an incredible blessing we have to live in this country. Can we ask Him to bless our country?